Way Forward by Steve Case. Sherman wanted a book. He could see the bookstore from where he was sitting and he had enough money. He could use the money his mother had given him to get lunch. He could just get up and leave this stupid table with this stupid display for this stupid science fair and buy a book. But he was supposed to stay with his project, even though all of the judges had come and gone from his section ages ago. He'd only got involved in the fair because his mother said he needed something to do after school and that it would look good on his college application and that if he didn't choose something like the science fair she would sign him up for dance classes. That was always her big threat. Do something other than read books or I'll sign you up for dance classes. So that was why he was here along with 359 other students from 12 local high schools sitting at a folding table in the Summer Park Mall. A giant vinyl banner hung from one side of the mall to the other. In huge green letters it said, Science Fair, 1986. And written beneath, When it's science, we're all winners. Sherman had read that banner at least 50 times. What does that even mean, he thought. The banner had definitely seen better days. It was one of those reusable ones where the date can be scraped off and repainted every year. Sherman was sure this was at least the fourth year in which we were all winners. What was the point, Sherman thought. The Way Forward by Steve Case Sherman wanted a book. He could see the bookstore from where he was sitting and he had enough money. He could use the money his mother had given him to get lunch. He could just get up and leave this stupid table with this stupid display for this stupid science fair and buy a book. But he was supposed to stay with his project, even though all of the judges had come and gone from his section ages ago. He'd only got involved in the fair because his mother said he needed something to do after school and that it would look good on his college application and that if he didn't choose something like the science fair she would sign him up for dance classes. That was always her big threat. Do something other than read books or I'll sign you up for dance classes. So that was why he was here along with 359 other students from 12 local high schools sitting at a folding table in the Summer Park Mall. A giant vinyl banner hung from one side of the mall to the other. In huge green letters it said, Science Fair, 1986. And written beneath, When it's science, we're all winners. Sherman had read that banner at least 50 times. What does that even mean, he thought. The banner had definitely seen better days. It was one of those reusable ones where the date can be scraped off and repainted every year. Sherman was sure this was at least the fourth year in which we were all winners. What was the point, Sherman thought. The winner was decided before we even started. Every year they made a big deal about how everyone is a winner and the community is a winner and 
the future is the winner. And then they gave the first and third prizes to Sprague High School. Second prize was always a toss-up, but when the head of the judging committee was a former Sprague High School student and a former science fair winner herself, things weren't likely to change. Just four tables down from him, Sherman could see a ninth grader with a styrofoam model of the solar system. Even that kid had a better shot at winning the oh-so-coveted second-place trophy than him, even though he had put some actual thought into his project this year. He had invented a theory of time travel. It was unlike anything anyone had thought of before. Einstein had a good idea, but he'd lost it with that whole three rivers concept. String theory was close, but still too linear. Suskin and Witten were closer still. The more Sherman thought about time travel, the more his ideas seemed to come unbidden. One night, he lay on his bed with a sheet of poster board and began to sketch out his idea. The next thing he knew, it was 7.30 in the morning, he had missed the bus and his mother was yelling at him. He spent the whole day thinking about that chart. He knew he was onto something. He knew he had found a topic for his science fair project. The problem was, it was so far above the way people were thinking about time and space that no one understood it. They thought he was making it up. The judges of the science fair, including Principal Russell of Sprague, stopped by his table and stared for a moment, then patted him on the head and moved on. A participant wasn't supposed to talk to the judges, but Sherman could tell that it wouldn't have done any good anyway. They looked at his chart, got all glassy-eyed, checked a few boxes on their forms and moved on. Every project had to have some sort of visual representation. But how do you make a visual representation of time travel? Especially if you are basically ditching all the known theories. Sherman wanted to use a meatloaf at first, but his mother told him that was gross and would smell. So Sherman cut a hole in the basketball his stepfather had given him and turned it inside out. To make his point, he had written, This is not here on the outside, or rather inside of the ball. Then he placed the ball on a stick and let it go at that. His project was officially listed as a way forward Very existential, Principal Russell had said. Sherman wanted to kick him in the shin. A little man in a black coat wandered down the line of tables, studying each one for just a moment and then moving on. Sherman watched him stop by the table with the solar system model. The kid had gone to lunch. The man looked around to see if anyone was watching. He pulled off the red rubber ball that was supposed to be Mars and replaced it with a green one about the same size. Sherman thought that was funny. The little man had a bowl of black hair on his head. Just behind him was a young woman. Both of them, Sherman thought, looked like they were on their way to a costume party. The little man stopped at Sherman's table. Sherman watched him study his chart. Sherman could tell right away that the man got it. The way forward, she, the little man said. Lovely name, lovely name. You're not a judge, are you? Sherman asked, breaking the no-talking rule. No, the man said. Just an observer. Sherman didn't feel so bad about the no-talking rule now. Do you understand it? 
The little man laced his fingers together repeatedly in front of his chest and said, Hmm. He bent lower, put his elbows on the table and studied the three-by-five index card where Sherman had made notes. The little man asked, How old are you, my boy? Fifteen, Sherman said, lowering his voice so he wouldn't sound like he was twelve. The pretty girl smiled at him. She had such a nice smile. And what is your name? The little man asked. Sherman, Sherman said. He wondered who this guy was if he wasn't a judge. Sherman, you are a brilliant young man. He extended his hand and said, I'm the doctor, and this is my friend, Victoria. Hello, the girl said, and she tousled Sherman's red hair. Sherman knew these two were not from around here. Sherman, is this your theory? The doctor asked. Uh, Mostly, Sherman said. I started with Peabody's theorem and then sort of turned it inside out. Yes, I see, the doctor said. May I just offer one suggestion? Uh, Sure, I guess, Sherman said. The doctor pulled a magic marker from his coat and before Sherman could stop him, drew a line across one whole section of Sherman's formula. Then he quickly wrote in three new equations. Hey, Sherman said. But then he read what the little man had written. Hey, he said again. But this time it was backed up by a realization. The doctor put the cap back on his marker and put it in his breast pocket. He smiled at the boy with a mixture of pride and admiration. Hey, Sherman said for a third time. He looked at the doctor, then back at his formula. Then he vanished. Oh, my giddy aunt, the doctor said. That was unexpected. Where did he go? Victoria asked. She'd only been with the doctor a short time, but had already reached the point where unusual things didn't make her woozy. The doctor said, It appears that Sherman understood the theory better than I gave him credit for. Apparently, he decided not to attend the science fair. But he was just here, Victoria said. The doctor picked up the 3x5 index card, which was now the only thing on the table. There were no notes on it anymore. Instead it read, Reserved, Sherman Pegg, Summer Park High School. Slowly the card faded away in his hand. Oh dear, he said again. Doctor, Victoria said. She was trying not to be alarmed as the mall they were standing in turned into an open field. I think we need to find the TARDIS, said the doctor firmly. He grabbed Victoria's elbow and began to walk quickly in the direction of where they had left the machine. As they walked, the field they were standing in suddenly became a parking lot, then a forest on fire. Then for one brief second, the two of them were underwater. The change happened so suddenly that neither of them had time to take a breath. They were just soaking wet and standing in a field again. This time, Victoria did scream, not in terror, but surprise. Doctor, what's going on? The doctor could see the TARDIS in the distance and they started to run hoping the ground beneath them didn't suddenly become air. They reached the door, unlocked it, and pushed their way in. The doctor closed the door behind them and ran for the console. Doctor? Victoria cried, demanding attention. Not now! The doctor shouted, spinning a dial on the console and slapping a large blue button with the palm of his hand. The air that had been rushing around them seemed to stop. Victoria, still standing by the TARDIS door, looked at the doctor. He was clutching the console and looking very, very worried. It would appear that our friend Sherman has created a paradox, he explained. He looked at Victoria. She was staring at him as if he had just spoken in another language altogether. Sherman, the doctor continued, went back in time to prevent himself from attending the science fair. The doctor let go of the console and stood upright, straightening his jacket. But if he didn't go to the fair, we wouldn't have met him. 
and you wouldn't have fixed his theory, said Victoria, and then he wouldn't have been able to go back to make sure he didn't go to the fair. She stopped, her head spinning. Exactly, the doctor said. But I swear I saw fire, and for a moment we were underwater, she gabbled. Sherman is trying to fix the problem himself, the doctor said, and he's just making things worse. So where is the TARDIS? Victoria asked. Right now, nowhere. Victoria was going to question that answer, but then decided it was probably as true as anything else. They were nowhere. The doctor stood very quietly for a long time. Victoria watched him weigh decisions in his mind. Finally, he put his hand on a lever on the console and pushed it forward very slowly. The TARDIS groaned and vibrated with comforting familiarity. The doctor looked at the ceiling and then the walls, as if he was half expecting something to come through one or the other. Let's look outside, he said quietly. He opened the door and stepped out onto a black rock as flat as cut granite. Victoria put her hand over her mouth. Where are we? She asked. The same spot where we were when we left, the doctor sighed. It just looks a bit different. Ahead of them lay the Summer Park Mall. Only now it sat in a piece of burnt earth. The ground beneath the mall seemed to list to the side as if it might just slowly sink into the Earth's crust. Off in the distance, the doctor saw aeroplanes, hundreds and hundreds of them. It looked like a garden of crashed jets. Then he noticed they were all the same plane. Not the same kind of plane, but the exact same plane. Victoria felt a chill wind and saw the rest of the city of Summer Park buried in snow and ice but she could feel heat coming up from her feet as if they were walking on rocks that floated in a river of lava. They walked towards the mall and noticed two gorillas sitting on a patch of green grass. One had her head wrapped in an ugly scarf and held a purse in her lap. As they passed, she turned to the other gorilla and said, But I don't like spam. In a cheap falsetto voice, Victoria shuddered. The doctor opened the door of the mall and helped Victoria step up inside. Both of them had to lean as they walked to keep their balance. If either of them noticed that all the stores were now bookstores, closed and battered, they did not mention it. Eventually, they found their way to the centre of the mall where they had first met Sherman. Across the hall from the spot where the doctor had corrected Sherman's formula, a bookstore light flickered in time with the sound of a young boy crying. They went inside. In the back of the room, they found Sherman sitting cross-legged on the floor. The young boy was quite literally beside himself. An older version of Sherman sat on the floor beside him tanned and rugged-looking, but wearing only a loincloth and shoes that seemed to be made of tyres. Nearby sat an old man with streaks of red hair in his long white hair, who was softly banging the back of his head against the wall, as if keeping beat with a song that only he could hear. There were other Shermans, too. All of them were seated in exactly the same position as the little boy, 
All of them looked like they had lost their best friend. When Sherman saw the doctor coming towards him, he sniffed and wiped his eyes. He was crushed by the weight of what had happened. I... I think I broke it, he stammered. So it would seem, the doctor said sadly. Victoria ran forward, scooped Sherman into her arms and allowed him to cry against her shoulder. She stroked his back and let the tears come. Sherman turned to the doctor and said, I tried to fix it. I could tell, the doctor said. The gorilla was a nice touch. The old man, Sherman, stopped banging his head and smiled. It had been one of his ideas. The doctor said, It's my fault. I gave you the formula, but I didn't expect you to understand it. It was foolish of me. I underestimated you, my boy. Sherman looked at him. Can you fix it? I'm willing to give it a go. The doctor smiled reassuringly. You'll have to come with us, though. The doctor and Victoria led Sherman back to the TARDIS, holding hands on either side of him like parents with a toddler. To his credit, Sherman didn't say, It's bigger on the inside. In fact, he didn't say anything. Victoria stroked his hair sadly. She imagined he'd seen far stranger things. Sherman, how would you like to win the science fair this year? Asked the doctor. Only people from Sprague win, Sherman said quietly. Ooh, I'm not so sure, the doctor said, in a very grandfatherly sort of way. You can help me fix this mess you've made, and then between the two of us, well, I'm sure we can come up with a winning idea. He winked at Sherman, and for the first time in a long while, Sherman smiled.